0: Now, there we go. I just hope that the rest of you are just as excited right now. All right. We're going to be reading from John chapter 7. Uh, Today's Pentecost, by the way, Uh, the the birthday of the church, the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the apostles and then given as a gift to those who were baptized there in Jerusalem. And there are several passages that the church turns to on the day of Pentecost to look at, and one of them is found in John chapter 7. Uh, This is an account of Jesus in Jerusalem during the Feast of the Tabernacles, and uh, that's kind of important about the setting of it, and we'll talk about that in a moment. John, uh, the gospel writer John, uh, puts Jesus' teachings within the context of the Jewish Feast, and this particular one is the Feast of the Tabernacles. This occurs on the last day of that feast. Let's be standing, please, as you hear what Jesus had to say. On the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried out, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, Out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Spirit, which believers in him were to receive. For as yet there was no spirit, because Jesus was not yet glorified. May God bless the reading of his word. You know, it's kind of a flashback. Uh, you forget how much calling out the hymn numbers was a part of our worship in days past. and sounds sort of familiar. Well, this has kind of taught me a lesson today. I was pretty heavily dependent on projection for the lesson, but we'll make it through the best we can. Actually, it's back there if y'all want to just turn and face the other way. Uh, uh, Bob, would you show the next picture or so? There we go. Uh, let's turn around and look. Um, now, isn't that cute? Uh, We've got another one. Let's see. Oh. And, and one more. I'm a dachshund guy. All right. Uh, now, those have nothing to do with the lesson at all, but as I wrote the lesson, I realized I was starting out talking about a Hebrew word and a Greek word, and I thought, nobody's going to want to hear that right off the bat, so I thought I'd just throw some puppy pictures in uh, you know, just so you would kind of feel good about being here and see how sweet that they are. We do want to begin today with a little bit of a Bible study, a word study. Uh, There's a Hebrew word and a Greek word that is translated. Both of those words are translated in multiple ways. The Hebrew word is ruach. The Greek word is pneuma, And either one of those words has several different translations. You can translate either word as wind or as breath or as... Spirit, and it's interesting that only the context in which the word is found tells you which way you're supposed to translate that word, because those words are different in their meaning, and yet we see they're connected too. Now it's interesting that some context in Scripture it kind of leaves us up in the air about which way we're supposed to translate it. For example, if we were to turn to to Genesis chapter 1, let me read a very familiar passage to you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a ruach from God hovered over the waters. Now, which word do we use to translate that? Is it a wind from God that blows across the waters? Is it the breath of God that is going over the waters? Or is it the spirit of God over the waters? Well, we can't give an exact answer on that. But in fact, by knowing it could be any of those three, it kind of broadens the meaning of the passage, doesn't it? Another passage is Ezekiel chapter 37, a passage we looked at not long ago. Ezekiel in the valley of the dry bones. Remember that story? And when he begins preaching, then the bones begin a rattling and they all assemble into bodies, and then there's flesh over the body, but there is no Ruach in the bodies. And God tells him to prophesy prophesy to the Ruach, to the wind. And prophesied that Ruach might come into the bodies. And he said, and I prophesied to the wind, breath came into the bodies, and they became living spirits. There's a connection there between the wind and air and breath and the spirit. In the New Testament... The connection continues in John chapter, eight, uh, John chapter 3, just back a little bit from our text. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And he says this. He says, the wind, same word, blows where it chooses. And you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the, <sighs> the breath, the wind. The Spirit. And then Acts chapter 2, that wonderful story of Pentecost, that first Pentecost that we commemorate today. The Holy Spirit descended with flames, tongues of fire sitting upon the apostles' heads, but it was accompanied by the sound of, you got it, of wind. Now, why is that? Why is it that the Holy Spirit is so connected with wind? And breath. Well, I think that's an interesting thing to stop and consider. One thing I'd like to suggest is well, let me ask it in a question. For you to live, what is the one thing you need most? What is the thing that you can do without for the least amount of time and continue to live? Your breath, the air the wind, the spirit. And I believe that this connection is there to let us know that while that is true for us physically, it is also true for us spiritually. That if we are to live within our hearts, if we are to have a life that is connected to God, it can only happen when God has given us his spirit. To resurrect our dead soul, to resurrect our dead spirit, and to make us alive and breathing again and living in a way that God has called us us to live. Now, that led me to my next question. If the thing that we need most is air to live, what is the thing that we need second What is right under air? What other thing can we do without for the least amount of time and continue living? Water. Another question. Air, wind is the most common analogy given to spirit. Guess what the second most common analogy to the spirit of God is? Water. You've got it. In the Old Testament, Back in Isaiah chapter 44, and one of the wonderful things about it is that the people that Isaiah spoke to, the people that lived in the land of Palestine, they knew the value of water as much as we know the value of water. One of the greatest things, I think, that is coming out of this drought, which I know isn't quite over yet, but we are so thrilled to see moisture in the ground again and see water in the lakes again. And, and hasn't that drawn you closer to God to depend upon him and realize what desperate situation we have been in and can be in again. I, I told the Sunday night class uh, a couple of weeks ago that I've kind of modified my recitation of the Lord's Prayer, and I hope that's okay with Jesus. Jesus prayed, give us this day our daily bread. My prayer has become, Lord, give us this day our daily water because we recognize how much we depend Upon water for life, and we depend on God for our water. Well, that's true in Isaiah's time, too. He says, This God says, I will pour water out on a thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit into your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. There it is again, the connection between spirit and water. And just as we need water to live, we need spirit to live. John chapter 3, verse 5 again, a connection of water and spirit. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, very truly, no one can enter the kingdom of God. You cannot live with God unless you are born of water and spirit. That's interesting because we normally translate that water quickly into baptism. And I think that that's a good way to, to connect that. But there again is water and spirit. It takes both of those things for us to live. If we continue on to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 13, another passage that mentions baptism, but listen to the water. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. Does anyone know the rest of that passage? And we were all made to drink of the same spirit. We have to drink of the Spirit of God to be alive. That's why back in our passage that we read in John chapter 7, Jesus stands up on that feast day and says, Is anyone here thirsty? If you're thirsty, come to me and drink. And he goes on to say that he said this about the Spirit. Well, what's going on there? Why does Jesus choose this wonderful analogy at this particular time? Well, if you were to back up into John chapter 7 at the beginning, as we said in the introduction of the reading, we know that this was the Feast of the Tabernacles. It's also called the Feast of the Booths, but I don't like to use that because when I say it too quickly, it sounds like we're saying it's the Feast of the booze. It was a grand and glorious time of celebration, but it was a time when they set up booths or tabernacles out in the streets of Jerusalem, and the people would go out there and camp out. They would spend the night, or they would go out and have their meals, and the parents and the grandparents would tell the children, you know, there was a time when this is all our people had, It's just a temporary shelter like this, as God led us through the wilderness. And it was a great and joyous celebration, a great and joyous feast, probably the happiest feast of all the feasts that the Jews celebrated. Well, that time was coming around, and this is the time that so many people went to Jerusalem. They just packed it. Thousands and thousands of people went to Jerusalem for this feast. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 7, Jesus' brothers, who are not believers at this point, kind of making fun of him, Say, well, Jesus, aren't you going to go down there? Everybody's going to be there. Go down there and do some tricks for them. Show them, you know, that you're such an important person. And Jesus declines and says, no, I'm not going. And the scripture tells us because the authorities were looking to arrest him and kill him, and his time had not yet come. So the brothers go on. And then after that, Jesus goes. But it says, in secret. In secret. And when he gets there, oh I wish I had my slides. When he gets there, he discovers that all the people there are talking about him. And what are they saying? If you read chapter 7, you're going to see, yeah, give me those cuz I need. Where is he? They're saying. Some were saying, "Well, he's a good man." Others are saying, "Nah, he's just deceiving the masses." Others say, "He has a demon." And others say, "I love this one." It's right in here. It says It's a conspiracy, you know. The government knows that Jesus is the Messiah. I'm just, it's in there. The government knows that Jesus is the Messiah and they're not telling us, all right? Hey, folks, it's been going on a long time, all right? Okay, and then others say, well, what more could he do to prove that he's the Messiah? So there's all this debate going on. And a wonderful thing is, Jesus does not stand up and say, Watch this and do some kind of miracle. Or as Satan attempted him, he doesn't climb up on top of the temple and jump off and let the angels, none of that. He stands up and says, guys, I know you're thirsty. And if you're thirsty, you'll come to me. I will give you water. And you can get a drink. Okay, now, why use that particular analogy, too? Well, let's continue looking at this feast a little bit. The Gospel of John is centered in the feast of the Jews. Jesus' activity is all centered around the different feasts. And what he says and does connects with that particular feast. Well, what is it about this feast that had to do with water? Well, let me tell you, it it was a feast that lasted seven days. They lived or they stayed out in these booths, but they also had these great parades every day. As I said, this was the feast of great joy and they would parade around and play instruments and wave branches and and yell and it was just a wonderful time. They would make their way to the temple and at the evening time, the uh, priest would light these four huge torches in the temple courtyard, and it said that from those torches, the light would cover the city. Now, that would be amazing back then. We're used to walking out at night and things being pretty much lit up. But that wasn't true for them. For them at night, it was dark in the city. And yet for that week, when they walked out, it was like daylight because they had those great torches burning in the temple courtyard. By the way, at this same feast in the very next chapter, Jesus stands up and says, I am the light of the world. That's right. But what about the water? Well, also on this last day, the priest would would go to the pool of Siloam and all the thousands of people would go with them and they would fill up these jars of water And they would carry them through the streets, and the people would be shouting and yelling and rejoicing. The Mishnah says that if you have never been to this feast and seen the joy, you have never seen joy in your life. And as they're yelling and everything, they carry this water and they begin pouring it over as a libation over one of the altars in the temple. And the people are praying and the p- the priests are praying and thanking God for his life-giving water and praying that they would have water for the coming year. It is then that Jesus stands up and says, "You guys know the value of water. And if you're thirsty, come to me and I'll give you a drink." Now what strikes me about this is that Jesus offers no miracles no proof. He doesn't argue. He doesn't try to appeal to understanding, and he just says, I know you're thirsty. He knows us well enough to know that without him, our soul thirsts. And the invitation is simple. Come to me and drink. If you do, you'll find out what life is. Your thirst will be quenched. The psalmist said it this way, O oh, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Jesus' invitation still stretches out to us. Just as our bodies cannot live without air and water, neither can our souls. Our soul is dependent upon the Spirit of God. Our soul is dependent on the water which is his spirit sent by his son are you thirsty we give you the same invitation that Jesus gave so long ago come and drink let's stand and sing